Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Aaron Stanford, an occupational therapist from McCrory Pediatrics. And this is in our series of supports from McCrory that we are so thankful for. And Aaron was such a great source of information. We are so fortunate to have two episodes with Aaron. So this is the first of two. And talking on everything from the wholeness of all the supports and how we work together to going over sensory. She gave us so much information and we're so thrilled to be able to share this with everyone. So... Welcome, Aaron Stanford. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. It's nice to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today in our McCrory series. These are little gems and little gifts that we want to put out there to the community because, Aaron, you work in occupational therapy. Uh, so a lot of parents or new parents don't know what occupational therapy is, are not sure when to ask for occupational therapy, don't know the difference between occupational therapy and perhaps like physical therapy. And so we want to give as much information out there as parents so they can build their foundation in the best way possible that supports their child and family. So why don't we start with you? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Erin? Sure. I am a OT. I've been an OT for a little over nine years. Um, I did have a background before that coming from the behavioral field, working with kids primarily with a diagnosis of autism. And when I became an OT, I went right into my first job at McRory. I've actually been with McRory for the duration of my career as an OT. Um, I have two kids of my own. They are six and a half and three and a half. And um, I think that has really strengthened me as an OT and me having my OT hat strengthened me as a mom. So, I mean, that's me in a very tiny nutshell, but as far as your, your question about what is OT, I kind of love this because a lot of people don't know what OT is. Um, I think we're definitely becoming more noticed, but essentially what we do is help people do the things that are important to them on a daily basis. Your occupations are what's meaningful to you on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So for children, which is the primary population that I work with and that we work with at McRory, we are looking at kids as part of a family. We're looking at them doing their daily activities of self-care. We're looking at them as students. We're looking at them as peers, as siblings. Um, we're looking at them as kids who may love to play basketball or may love to do art. And we wanna be able to empower those kids who may have some differences and may need a little bit more support and maybe aren't hitting milestones as quickly or as on time um, as other peers their age. So we wanna help them do the things that are important to them. And that's OT in a nutshell, that applies to geriatrics and it applies to the adult population after you know someone has a stroke or just in the natural aging process, things become more challenging and we want to remedy or we want to work around and find accommodations. I've never made the correlation before between occupational therapy and your occupation. Yeah. That that's such a clarifying defining moment of just helping to support you in your daily in your daily lives. And you had mentioned families. You work a lot with families as well. Absolutely. 
Um, I think because we have kids as our primary clients, they don't live alone. They are part of a network. They need support. All kids need support. Diagnosis, no diagnosis. It doesn't matter. We all need support, even as adults. But really, the primary caregivers are the people who are going to facilitate on a daily basis. When you come to see me in the clinic, that's one time a week, maybe two times a week. But the real work happens at home and the real work happens with parents facilitating and following through with suggestions and following through with with strategies that we give them. And then we get to fine tune and I get to see it within our sessions. But really, it I, I the emphasis has to be on parent participation. And it's a team. We, we are a team and the parents are the point person, really. So because they need to advocate for their children who can't necessarily identify the challenges that they're having or the, their own strengths, you know, parent really needs to also be able to say, hey, my kid's really good at this. How do we capitalize on that? And I think that absolutely we are big on parent involvement. Most times that we've talked to a therapist, I've always said how important it was to have the therapist when they came to our home or even when I get to watch how important that was for us as parents to use that information for the other hours of the week and days of the week and how much we can learn from therapists. And it's a real tool that probably parents do take, take advantage of. But I just want to say again, that if, if you're not sit down and really listen to this therapist. And, and so then you can learn and use this throughout your day. I, I couldn't agree more. And beyond just listening to the therapist, get involved in your therapy sessions a lot of kids will work better when parents like I'm just a distraction, you know, and I can watch and that works. And that absolutely, we have to, each child is different in the way that they respond to a initially maybe foreign individual. We get to know each other and the, our, our, my foundation is always built on rapport building and play and making it fun when you come to see me, but some kids really are more wary and they're willing to do a lot more for parents or caregivers. I should say caregivers, because we have a lot of grandparents and aunts and uncles and other individuals who caretake, but sometimes they're more willing to do things for those caretakers. And so I can coach and I say, fine, come on over this kids. You know, if your kid is having a challenge emotionally, there's nothing that's going to get done. If we're just forcing a kid to go through the motions and they're upset and they're going, they're snotting and they're trying to get mom or whoever. And so I go, you know, come over. You want to do this. I can coach you on where the hand positioning should be when we're doing dressing. I can coach you on what we want to be looking for, where you can facilitate your child during our session. I think that that is absolutely, it's critical to kind of figure that out, what's going to work. Um, And I can say without a doubt, hands down, I see significant differences in progress based on whether caregivers are following through and whether the caregiver thinks that here, I'm going to take my kid for the next 50 minutes, please fix them. I can't emphasize, you, you, you absolutely said it. And I, I think it's so important that caregivers really own their part of the process. And I know it's a break. A lot of our caregivers are exhausted and we're, we've got kids up in the middle of the night, sleep challenges and all these different things. And they are on 24 seven. It is, it, you don't get a break as a caregiver. And when you come to therapy and you go, great, I got 50 minutes, I'm going to sit back on my phone and watch YouTube or Netflix or whatever it is. That is completely understand mental health breaks are important for caregivers. But if you can participate at least part of the time so that you can get a little bit and be able to take it home, your progress will be more noticeable. I promise you. 
And I think that's something that's very real in our community because as a parent or as a caregiver, as you said, that's what gets lost first. You do have to take care of yourself in, in order to take care of somebody else, in order to, to support and to support these services. So I think that's something really for our listeners to understand. Definitely taking care of yourself during any kind of therapy that it's probably going to be easier to be present at the therapy and be able to implement those. You're going to see the progress more readily. And then in the long run, I think that will make it a little bit easier and provide those breaks. Because I'll, I'll have to say the, the first like nine years, I think it's just, just yeah. in this last year, the first nine years are very were very intense for us. Just, and now we um, really advocate for self-care. But, yeah. but maybe this isn't the best place to do it. Maybe if, if you can choose, try to choose a different place than during the therapy. Because you definitely see the benefits as to, you know, someone being present and being able to support then the patient. So it becomes a way of life and not just one session or two sessions a week during their schedule. Exactly. Because one thing that I feel is that occupational therapy is something that exists all day every day in different activities, you know, from the, from the time we wake up, we're, we're working on the, the occupational therapy works with the fine motor, right? Not the gross motor. Is that correct? Can you, can you, or, or is there more? There's more. There's always more. <laughs> it really varies. Um, within our clinic, we have physical therapists. So we have the luxury of kind of separating and being able to, to, allocate fine motor really more toward occupational therapy. We do look at gross motor in the context of function. It's all about function for us. Um, but we do have physical therapists who can really look at the nitty gritty of the gross motor. And, and so we, we play a part, we, we really team up a lot, especially because in pediatrics, there's so much overlap and there's so much gray area. And you look at occupational therapy and child development, and you look at occupational therapy and physical therapy, and even occupational therapy and speech therapy. I mean, there, we look at oral motor and we're looking at, you know, the differences in speech oral motor versus feeding oral motor and how they work together and communication for accessing things that, you know, so there's so much gray area in pediatrics in particular, but as far as your question with regard to fine motor, gross motor, gross motor, we absolutely look at or what OTs will look at is motor planning. How do I engage with something novel? If I go to a play structure, how am I going to make my body do what I want it to do to get up that rock wall? And so, so there are components that are very, um, that OTs will look at, will look at, and that, you know, motor planning really comes from a sensory processing kind of foundation from what we look at and body awareness and understanding what your body can do and what the item in front of you can afford to you and, and what it can allow you to do. So there's a lot of overlap there, but we absolutely look at gross motor. Can you talk a little bit about the, I'm going to break it down because you had mentioned uh, how you, how OT overlaps with speech and with PT and the different services. So can you first break down how does occupational therapy uh, overlap with speech, with the fine motor that you had started to speak on that. And I, and I just want to kind of give parents some insight. Yeah. So, so with regard to speech and OT, really those fine motor muscles in the mouth, you know, um, especially for kiddos who have a diagnosis of Down syndrome, we're looking at kids with lower facial tone. We're looking at decreased strength a lot of times. And so 
that muscle refinement. You, you, the muscles in your mouth are considered fine motor muscles. Fine motor is not exclusive to the hands. Um, and so really being able to target activities, because again, we look at function that are going to strengthen things like lip closure. A lot of times we see with uh, you know, kids with Down syndrome, that open mouth posture, there's a lot of drooling when they're babies, maybe excessive to what a, what a typically developing baby may be, may be looking like. Um, and that again comes to the strength of the cheeks, which have muscle, the strength of the, of the jaw and being able to keep that jaw up and a closed mouth posture, um, looking at lip closure, all of these things, the tongue is a muscle, the tongue is a complex muscle. And so in coordination with speech, where they're going to look at mouth, you know, formation of the oral musculature. And I don't want to speak beyond my discipline, but I, you know, having experienced, you know, so it's so much, I've learned so much from the speech pathologists on our team. Um, but they're really looking at those muscular movements to create, um, you know, for articulation and being able to move the, the mouth in different ways to create sounds. And we're looking more from oftentimes the feeding perspective and being able to suck on a straw. Can the child create lip closure in order to, to suck effectively? Um, chewing, right? Progression of textures. So we work really closely and a lot of times our exercises look really similar. We're looking at it from different lenses and for different purposes, but our cheeks, our lips, our tongue, our jaw, all these things are needed for, for both speech and for feeding. Um, so th that's where you see a little bit, the most um, significant area of overlap between OT and speech. Uh, again, we work really closely when it comes to communication and kids being able to make choices. Do you want to go on the swing or do you want to go on the slide? Do you want to do some coloring right now or do you want to play with the blocks? And for our kids who have delayed expressive language, we work this with the speech pathologist to say, okay, are we using a choice board? Are we using signs? Um, and just to make sure that we're incorporating the things that they're using within speech, whether it is uh, just various communication styles and, and supports, we want to make sure that we're incorporating those things within our sessions also. And do you have any resources or exercises that you could recommend to parents in regards to speech? With regard to speech, I would defer you to a speech pathologist. Um, I think it's important that we get information from the uh, the appropriate sources as much as I've, again, learned a ton, but I would say if you don't have a speech pathologist right now, find one if you have concerns about your child's speech. Um, exercises that I would recommend that probably would help with speech. Things like drinking, you know, you've got your little applesauce containers and instead of opening the lid and using a spoon, stick a straw in it and suck that extra thick liquid. Milkshakes are great for those kinds of things and it's fun for a kid. Um, it changes things up. It doesn't always have to be, you know, let's do these exercises 10 times um, again we look at function. You know, going back to the piece about mental health and parenting, right now, I don't know when this is necessarily gonna air or if it's gonna have repeat dates, but we're living through a pandemic and a very large number of us are in our homes all day long with our kids. And I think that we have to prioritize what is really important for us right now. And the biggest thing for me is I say, you know, these kids are on the screens getting their schooling and their mom or dad or whomever the caregiver is, is a parent and a teacher and a therapist and they're doing everything. So I say, get out of your desk chair and make it fun. 
when it comes to those oral motor exercises you want, I say, let's go around the house. Let's get some cotton balls and a straw and play cotton ball hockey uh, across the table. You know, it's about how do we make this fun and get some work in, you know, even, even something like different food textures to explore that really will get the mouth moving. I, I think that there are ways to strengthen and to hone skills in natural functional ways. I keep going back to the same word I'm realizing, but that's so important. It does not, therapy for adults looks very different than therapy for children. And I think that's a given, but it's really important to underscore that with kids, it has to be about play and it has to be about what's going to get them motivated to do those things. Um, you can tell an adult to go into a clinic and, you know, for fine motor, you're going to squeeze this ball 10 times, and then you're going to squeeze this on with this hand. And you can't tell the kid to do that, but it has to be about something that's going to get them interested and excited and honestly, a little distracted and not even really thinking about what they're doing. They're just having fun. So as far as, again, I keep getting sidetracked, but you know, those, those activities for oral motor, the, the thick straw, who doesn't love a milkshake, right? Even for our kids who maybe have some delayed oral motor skills in terms of chewing and with, with more complex textures, that's a great activity. Cotton balls and straws, whistles and bubbles. Um, those are all really fun activities for most kids. Because I feel like with development, that if it's being done all day, that's the most conducive to growth, like making it a game and, and things like that. I feel like instead of like for me, if I, if I hurt myself, I go in for 30 minutes, three times a week when we're talking about actually developing something. Exactly. Again, particular to this population comes down to low tone and decreased strength. And strength is the hardest thing to build. I mean, you know, you go to the gym, if you go to the gym once a week for 50 minutes, are you going to see the progress that you would see if you did 30 minutes every day or three times a week? You know, sometimes less is more if it's more consistent. It's all about consistency. Building strength is challenging, but it's possible. So, Absolutely. And, you know, to, to parents, uh, to not be discouraged because sometimes it, it takes a while to see the progress or to see the milestone come. And I want to go back and talk about, well, let's talk about milestones then. Cause then I do want to hit these other, how you overlap. So, you know, do you want to take a, a, just a beat to talk about that pressure of, of reaching milestones or comment on how, uh, on parents reaching milestones? Sure. It's the magic eight ball question that we get all the time, right? When is my kid going to blink? Um, I think I can fairly say that that happens in every discipline, you know, you come in and you just don't know what the future holds for your child. Um, none of us do, you know, regardless of diagnosis, regardless, you go, what does the future hold? Um, and all I can say is I don't know, but I can tell you that based on the research, based on lots and lots and lots and lots of other people who have gone down your path and trajectory, based on my clinical experience and the kids that I've worked it, worked with, we are in, you know, that cliche, it's a marathon, not a race. Um, and, and progress is absolutely going to happen. Your child will not look the way that they look at this moment in six months, maybe a year, maybe two years, five years old, things will progress. And as far as, you know, 
when will those milestones get hit? That's a really individual question. It's very, it's very individual specific. And I think, again, regardless of diagnosis, everybody hits those milestones at different points. Some individuals will get to a point and, and to some degree plateau in certain areas. And then maybe it'll be a while, but then they'll make a little jump and maybe we'll take a step back. But I think that it's, it is without question, progress is possible. If it wasn't possible, I would have a really hard time going to work. I would have a really, I would be out of a job if progress were not possible. Um, I, I get questions from, from family, from friends. I, I see, a, you know, kids with a variety of diagnoses, some with a uh, bleaker prognosis, frankly, and they go, I can't believe you do what you do. You know, it's so hard to see these kids. And I go, it's really not. I, you know, if, if, if I looked at it that way, again, I, I couldn't do the job if I didn't think I was going to make, you know, it, it help change, make change. Um, and so I see what's possible and I go, okay, we've got, we've got speed bumps. We absolutely have speed bumps. And some of those speed bumps we can work around and some of those speed bumps we can actually remedy. You know, it's a, it's a, you gotta be a glass half full kind of person. You have to see what's possible. And we work as hard as we can to, to, to make those changes, to make those occupations possible. And we get as far as we can. No, I love that. And I think, I think those are things for parents to remember because I know for us, our reality of what's in home, that joy, that journey, that, that progress is so different compared to what we experience in the outside world, whether that be society or school and challenges like that. So I think sometimes that's the question that, that we feel like if we had the answer that it would just bring comfort if we just knew when, but the truth is even with our typical children, even with myself, I don't know when my change is going to come. I don't know when I'm going to be able to overcome a certain challenge. I just think that as parents, it gets compacted because we're talking about our kids or as caregivers, we're talking about someone we care about very much. And so we want to know because we want to bring them comfort and, you know, some behaviors or some challenges, we, we want to know it's going to end. We want to know that it's going to be better. And I guess the truth is, is it, it's always getting better. And I think it's, you know, again, as parents, it's hard to see, it's hard to see that progress because we're with them day in and day out. It's kind of like, you know, maybe you have family or friends that you don't see, but maybe every six months and you, you get together and you go, oh my gosh, look how big they got. I can't believe that they got, you know, they grew a foot. Um, and, and our kids are doing the same things. We just don't notice it because it's happening constantly and we're with them constantly. So you don't get to see that jump. Um, but taking, you know, take those photographs, you look back, you go, oh my gosh, look how little you were at this point, right? Look at, look at how, look what you were playing with and you had such a hard time. And now look at this, right? We have to, we have to look back and, you know, sometimes it's a big jump we have to look through or look past um, and really get that perspective. It's all about perspective and it's hard for, for caregivers who are in it day in and day out to have that perspective. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really hard. I don't have children with special needs of my own, but I can imagine that it's really challenging to, to be in the grind every day, the exhausting grind of we're working so hard and we're working so hard. And, you know, it's those little teeny tiny glimmers. Sometimes you have to really notice, go, oh my gosh, did you notice? 
he just changed his grasp on the, on the bark. We've been working on that for so long and he just did it on his own, right? And it's those teeny tiny things that other people don't pay attention to, but it's it's those tiny moments of, of the glimmers of, hey, it's working, right? It, it's actually, it's sinking in. And I think that's one of the gifts of this is that you do notice the little things. And we've talked about milestones with our daughter and so much was like one right on top of the next that it seemed like, for her, I was always catching my breath. Like what's next? Once I thought I had a hold on it, it changed, it changed, it changed. And one of the gifts of this journey is to, to really be able to acknowledge because the truth is the human body in every single person, everything that we can do when we wake from the time we wake up, that we wake up, that we take those breaths, that our feet hit the ground, that we go for a walk, whatever we're doing, that our brain, you know, every action for every human has encompassed so much, so many lessons. And so many so, details. Yes. And and sometimes in life, we don't, I, no, I wouldn't say sometimes, and most of the times we just go through and that's just things that we do until we're stopped. And then, you know, we twist our ankle and then we appreciate walking. But for the journey with Liam that we've had, we've really been able to celebrate those milestones. Kind of slow down a little. Yeah, we slow down, we're present. And when that hits, it, you know, we celebrate. And I think for all the challenges that were presented on this journey, that that's one thing that we can take and, and know that the gift is that we can celebrate because we see it and we know how much work goes into it. And the truth in a very compacted, like sped up version of that, that's really what all of us do every day to do these things. And so it is, it is a great gift within, within the challenge. I agree. And good for you. Let me say, I applaud you for seeing those moments and slowing down. We all move too fast <laughs> and it's, you know, it, we, everything moves too fast. And sometimes it really is a gift to be able to go, okay, let's, let's appreciate what's happening right now. I completely, I, I, I applaud you on that. Where we get so much great information from therapists is because I think individuals take things for granted. Like you talk about all these little things just to get up in the morning and walk to the mirror and look at yourself. It's like all these things that you just take for granted. I remember working with an OT with Liam last year and and it really dawned on me that just using scissors was something I just didn't think about. But to have a, a therapist say, well, you're cutting with your right hand, but that left hand is like a helper hand. You need to you need to move that hand as you're cutting a, a line or a circle. And and it was something that I was able to go, oh, now I know that. I can now use that on a daily basis. But it, it's things that I wouldn't even know how to help my child because I don't think about that other hand or how I'm doing things. And I'd have to take so much time just to break down what I was doing. It's such an intense uh, lesson of awareness and being present. It really is. Yeah. Well, you, you had talked about the overlap of speech and OT and when I first heard about OT, I just would think it was uh, uh, fine motor movements and, and PT, physical therapy, was this gross motor movements. But as I've experienced OT and, and witnessed some things, I know there is an overlap there. And maybe you could get into that a little bit just to explain that PT-OT overlap. Sure. So within the context of pediatrics, again, it's the big emphasis for us is we look at that function, right? How is this child going to go to a playground and climb on that climbing structure? Um, how are, you know, how are they processing movement? Are they able to 
get on the swing? Are they, are they, do they have the postural stability to respond to movement when they climb up, when they get on the swing? Will they climb on their hands and knees when they're going through that obstacle course? Um, you know, in terms of head position, are they comfortable with weight bearing through their upper extremities and their lower extremities? We're looking at strength and stability of the joints. And the, the big piece is, is that function. And, um, with, with physical therapy, they're, they're looking at a lot of those same things. They're looking at range of motion and they're looking at strength and they're looking at stability. Um, it's really, it's hard to define the differences. I think some of the big, you know, pieces where we are, uh, taking into account body awareness, how that's impacting, um, gross motor access, um, depth perception, visual perception, things for things like, you know, walking on a stair, I'll be, I'll have a client, um, that is shared with a, with a PT and they're working on the gross motor aspect of look, of going up or down stairs and holding on and being able to, you know, move their feet in whether a reciprocal pattern or a step two pattern where you go one foot, the other foot catches up one foot, the other foot catches up. And I will come in and kind of go, Hey, you know, a lot of our, you know, especially with our kids with, with Down syndrome, oftentimes have visual perceptual differences or visual acuity differences, wear glasses. Um, and we go, hey, maybe the steps need a strip of color on them because it's hard to see when you're looking down, it just kind of all blends together. And so we can help create a, we can change the environment minimally by giving them a little bit of a color strip on the edge that, that changes. So we can take into account kind of those visual perceptual differences that will assist in the gross motor act of going up or down stairs. And they can look at, you know, the, the flexion of the knee and the hip and where, you know, where the weight shift is and all those more reductionistic kinds of nitpicky little fine tuning things that are critical. Um, and so there's, there's this really nice marriage between us and we can kind of uh, make sure that we're taking into account the, the person, any, any personal differences, the environment, how we can modify the environment and, and the actual occupation or um, activity. When you said the depth perception, it reminded me, I'm from New Orleans and it reminded me of leaving the Superdome after a, a Saints game. <laughs> they, well, they're trying to assist people to leave but they had these big ramps going down. You would take escalators to go up to, to your seats, but you had these big ramps going down and going down a, a ramp, you can kind of pick up your speed. Well, the carpet was this bright, like Mardi Gras color carpet that when I took the tour of the Superdome, they said, oh yeah, we do it in this pattern because it looks like steps. It would make people slow down and, and look at the steps as they go. Now, they may have had some alcoholic beverages prior to that, but it's a way to just have your mind look at your surface a different way. And so you can then accomplish, even if it's just getting out of the Superdome, you're able to accomplish that act. And I, and I never thought of, of that depth perception and putting tape or color tape on stairs, but it totally makes sense. I think that example is a really good example of, and I, and I always go back to like for the parents and for our journey, you know, we put this pressure as if it's this outside the box kind of thing that we just have to do. But the truth is in life, those supports are there for all of us. Like those, those things are taken into account for a mainly typical community that will be there. These are things that we can do. 
So I, I love the, I, I'm always for the neutralization of our differences because we all are different. We all need support. And I think to take that stigma away from that we have to do it exercises or we need support or we need to provide this to reach a milestone is really a goal because we don't see that really everywhere in our community there are supports there for everyone. Right. I mean, you know, high voltage, uh, a handrail, uh, different signage. I mean, it's all things that are, are to guide us. And, and that's just what we're trying to do for our children. And everybody needs it. And, and that's the thing is mm-hmm. that everybody needs it. And so if that message can provide a little bit of respite to parents and caregivers is that everybody needs support in different ways. And these are just, these are just methods that we can, you know, educate and empower so that, that we have them as tools in our lives. The beautiful thing is that we are able to get this information and we're able to support our kids and we're able to, to, to have these little tricks and, and then we can see when we do see the change, it really is, it is, it's beautiful. In relation to the overlap with physical therapy, again, do you have any resources or exercises or anything that you would recommend? I'll defer to a PT to come up with your physical therapy resources, but for the gross things in home, again, we're all trapped inside. Let's make it fun. So you want to do an obstacle course, but we can't go to, you know, the parks, let's say are closed. Some are open, some are closed, depending on where you are right now. Some people just don't feel as comfortable. Make your house an obstacle course. Play the floor. Floor is lava. This is the time to let the house get a little bit messy. Get the pillows on the floor. The floor is lava is a super fun game. You know, you got to find anything that's not the floor to stand on. So it's climbing and maybe it's a jump from one pillow to the next. So a pillow is a little unsteady, which will turn on your muscles a little bit more. Imagine walking on the sand at the beach versus on cement. It's a lot harder to walk on, on sand. Um, things that are dynamic, walking across the couch. Um, you know, you can, if you've got those little pop-up tents that, you know, uh, you can fold and they don't take much space. It's little things to get you moving. I, at the beginning of all of this stay at home stuff, I bought um, multicolored painter's tape I turned my entire first floor into an obstacle course and we put boxes for hopscotch and it won't peel your paint and it won't ruin your floors. And the different colors were fun because they meant different things and you can make arrows. And we went, you know, I have a, a toddler slide that we brought inside and we went down the slide and we, we put an X where you had to do five jumping jacks. And then we made a hopscotch, you know, space down the, down the hallway. And then they had to climb onto the couch and walk over the pillow. And this is all stuff that's already here. I bought the painter's tape, but you can use other things, but it's all things that we have in our homes. Um, Things like sidewalk chalk, you know, it's getting cooler here right now. We're, we're, we're talking in December, but we also live in Southern California. So we're a little more lucky than some of those East coasters right now, probably, but uh, you know, sidewalk chalk is a great activity in terms of strengthening and stability. You are never too old for tummy time. Get on your belly and hold yourself up with your elbows. You're going to strengthen your shoulder girdle muscles, which are going to support your fine motor skills down the road. As you get more stability, you're going to be able to use those refined movements in your hands more effectively. And sidewalk chalk is great because you really have to use more effort. It's a lot harder than let's say coloring with a marker that's, you know, kind of slides on paper using chalk, even crayons versus markers They you have to push a little bit more. So you're going to turn on that muscle a little bit, a little bit more doing sidewalk chalk outside or even on a screen door so that you're vertical. Um, there are lots of things that you can do that 
you may already have around the house. And, oh, we're inside, we're cooking a lot more. Bring your kids in the kitchen, have them pouring, have them mixing, right? It's holiday season, make your, make your holiday cookies or just your everyday cookies if you're in my house. And, and have your kids stirring dough, have your kids mixing up those ingredients. Don't forget your helper hand. You totally hit it on the nail on the head with your bilateral integration. I'm going to throw out some jargon. Use your hands together. Watch your kids. Make sure that they're using both hands together for an activity. It's so critical. It, combi it, it really works both sides of the brain. You want everything working in unison, holding your, holding your bowl, using your wooden spoon, really getting in there and mixing, having them learn how to scoop and pour. And it's fun, right? What's the product? You get cookies. We love that. If we could get cookies after everything. That right. Was, that, that's you reminded me of when Liam was, was really young. This is under three because we had some services at home where our OT used, uh, used shaving cream on the, on the sliding glass door. And I remember how much Liam loved that. And I know the activity wasn't uh, like pushing a crayon and, and, and really uh, uh, being intense, but it was, it was the start. And, and it was creative and it was like, let's get messy and feel texture. And, and then it was easily clean, clean. You just wipe it up. It was great. OTs love shaving cream. <laughs> you will find a can of shaving cream in every OT office, hands down, guaranteed. I put money on it. Um, we love it. It's, it's the cleanest, messy fun you can have. You can pretend play. You can make snowmen. You can do a car wash for kids that don't really want to touch it. Sometimes using um, manipulatives like cars or giving an animal a bat, you know, do little, the little plastic animals or bathtub creatures that you can give a bath, doing it in the bathtub for kids who don't like that feeling, doing finger paint in the bath. They have bathtub paint, they have bathtub crayons for the kids that don't like to do it at the table. You can do it in the bath and then look, your hands in the water and it's gone. Um, you know, we have in, in my house, we've saved old toothbrushes to do painting on the walls. Um, in the bathtub also. Uh, and then you can scrub out the grout with the toothbrush and it's another really nice fine motor activity and mom gets a little help cleaning the house or whoever <laughs> cleans the house. Let me, let me rephrase that. But absolutely, you know, the textures and that, and that goes more into that tactile and kind of the sensory processing and then some of the fine motor things you can do within those activities and with those different textures. Um, Play-Doh. Play-Doh is another one you will find in every OT office. It's a nice, got a slight bit of resistance. So you get a little bit of muscle work to it, a little bit of grading, that grading of force and knowing how much muscle to, to exert is called proprioception and it's a sense processing function. And, you know, those things are, are just great. Again, it's like the dough, you can use your cutters, you can really get in there and, and push and pull and roll. Um, so I'm a huge fan of all those different types of, of materials and manipulatives for sure. And those are great exercises because we, you know, we're going into the holiday break. Those are great exercises for not only when you're in home and, and school is on, but if you're in home and in any kind of, you know, quarantine or, or lockdown to, to have all those fun exercises uh, and cleaning the house. Yeah. <laughs> I like those. Always helping. That's always helping. Listen, I have got your cleaning the house recipes for kids. Let me tell you, pushing and pulling laundry baskets, taking wet clothes out of the out of the wash, putting it into the dryer, that extra weight from the water. It's great. And honestly, kids like to be helpful. They want to be acknowledged for being part of the team. They look for things to be helpful. And if you really, you know, ramp up your excitement when they do something super teeny tiny, oh my gosh, that was so awesome. Thank you so much for your help, right? 
feign, feign weakness. Oh, I can't pull this back. It's so heavy. I need your help. You're such a strong kiddo. Let me see your muscle man, right? You get them excited. You get them involved. And the tiniest thing, if you give them praise and you make them feel like they did an amazing thing, they're probably going to want to do it again and help you. Um, pushing a vacuum, right? Things that, like, who's going to put their kid to work vacuuming in the living room? If your kid doesn't have any auditory sensitivities to the, to the vacuum and they're not super, you know, uncomfortable and freaked out by it, it's a great activity. Vacuums are heavy, even a dust buster. Plenty of things that they can do around the house to pull their weight, right? Earn your keep, kid. Earn your dinner tonight. Get to work. <laughs> it's like the Mr. Miyagi of occupational therapy. <laughs> right? And my car needs to get clean. Let's go outside with a hose and a, and a wet, soapy, sudsy, you know, sponge for sure. I love it. And then I think that does alleviate because we're because we're putting it into our everyday activities. That's going to alleviate having to make this break and this lump out of time to sit there and do a therapy. We're just we're just incorporating it into our day and into our lives. And I, and I love that. And I think that creates such a positive feel for everybody involved. Well, whenever we let Sophia use the vacuum, I always thought, well, she's not going to do the best job, right? But <laughs> something's being done. Even if I have to go back and do it myself, I would have to do it anyway. Why not have her do a little bit of it? And, and then she'll learn. My, my older son was obsessed with a broom from the time he could stand. We got him a kid's broom. No joke. My mom bought him a Swiffer. <laughs> and it's his birthday gift as a two-year-old and we made this handle shorter and he walked around the house swiffering and it was no it was not the best job but he loved it and I'm sure it helped a little <laughs> yeah that's that's fantastic yeah we had talked at you had talked at, on that role of overlap can you talk about the overlap between occupational therapy and behavior sure Sure, absolutely. Um, I, having a behavioral background, I can see the benefits and I can also see where it may not be right for every child. Um, and I think that there are some really great things that behavioral principles can, can bring to an occupational therapy session. OT and behavior kind of by definition, almost of OT and, and especially in, in pediatrics, things being child directed. And sometimes they can be at odds a little bit because we want to make sure that we're not just making it about, you know, adult demands, adult demands, right? There's this, there's this balance and, and not that behavioral therapy is, is just about adult demands, but there's this balance of reading child's cues and going, what's motivating to them. And I think the big thing, uh, particularly with, you know, kiddos with Down syndrome, who one of the personality traits that we oftentimes see is a little bit of stubbornness, which perhaps is, we can say strong-willed, right? They know what they want sometimes, or they don't know what they don't want. And at the same time, just like any other child, any other adult, sometimes we come across things in life that we don't want to do that we have to do. And, you know, so, so from a behavioral perspective of providing reinforcement and providing, um, you know, giving them an understanding of what we really love to see. Great job, right? I incorporate, that's, that's a simple behavioral principle is, is providing reinforcement for um, when we want to see something continued. Uh, and, and, and that can sometimes help in terms of, you know, we get those, nope, arms crossed, nope, right? And again, we see this with just about any kid. Uh, but when we can empower a kid and, and have them see that we're really proud of them and we love what just happened, or maybe we need to reshape behavior and kind of steer it in a new way, I can incorporate um, behavioral strategies 
uh, that way. Um, it, I think the biggest thing is that it's about facilitating um, facilitating whatever it is that the activity is. Uh, and no, it's not always preferred as much as, you know, I talk about making it child directed and, and fun and games. And sometimes we have to sit down and we have to do some writing. That's, that's the long and short of it is, you know, some days I don't want to go to work. I am exhausted. I have 12 reports that I need to get done. And at the same time, I know as an adult who has learned through life of going to school and following directions, sometimes you do what you don't want to do. So, you know, sometimes it's using those behavioral strategies sometimes to help um, a kiddo uh, engage through some of those non-preferred OT activities. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, so behavior, the overlap is more seeing the influence of behavior on occupational therapy just to when we're dealing with if it's not something that's fun or that they enjoy doing, being able to approach them. And then, you know, the the, the importance of the communication between the entire team or between, between all of the support providers is that you can talk to your behavioralists about some exercises or some approaches to doing OT because one of the lessons in occupational therapy is sometimes we do have to do things that aren't on our preferred list. You can positively impact behavior by just even with these activities that are non-preferred. This is what we're going to do, set them up for their their success or however they do it. That's going to start to get integrated into and again into their everyday activities. Yeah, it's about compliance and uh, the ability to follow an adult direction. If you're in a classroom, you're going to need to follow directions. And I think that that's where we can definitely um, use behavioral strategies and principles. And and also, you know, sometimes we have more maladaptive behaviors that come up that do impact their ability to participate. You know, we don't see it as much with this population, but there are self-stimulatory things, or maybe we get distracted and we, you know, some kids are either vocalizing kind of, you know, where it's distracting and it's not allowing them to focus things like that and taking different behavior strategies or even combining going, Hey, is this a sensory behavior? Is this something that we can provide a sensory, a sensory strategy to alleviate and allow them to kind of re-engage, um, looking at the function of the behavior. And that is, you know, the core of behavior therapy is really looking at what's the function of this behavior. Why is this happening? And I'm sure that, you know, when, when you talk to our behavior specialist, uh, he spoke about, you know, looking at the function of behaviors and sometimes, you know, we go, oh, look, this falls more in line of maybe they're, be- maybe they're ex- exhibiting maladaptive behaviors because it's hard because they don't have the strength and they know that they don't want to do this. And so it's really about, you know, the fine, let's say a fine motor task where they don't have the hand strength. And so they're throwing their pencil. Well, great. Now I know that we need to kind of take a step back and go, what else can we do to strengthen? We don't have to necessarily follow through with the, with the paper and pencil task. Let's look at other things that we can use to address those same foundational skills. So that's where there's this, this kind of back and forth of constantly reevaluating and going, okay, why is this happening? Maybe why is this thing that's impeding our ability to function and participate? Why is it happening? And how do we then address it? And do we need to use a behavioral strategy? Do we need to put it on something like extinction where we ignore the behavior and we don't give it attention? 
or do we need to actually address it, but in a different way where we can create modifications? Well, let's go back to the stairs. If a kiddo is having tantrums and having the hardest time when it comes to time to do stairs and physical therapy, a behaviorist may come in and go, you know, well, why are we having so much trouble and go, okay, is it because the task is challenging? Is it because they're afraid because that visual perception, right? And that's where the OT, the behavior and the PT are all looking at this one task. And we all get to kind of have our take on what's going on. From the OT's perspective, I'm going to, again, look at that visual perception and I'm going to say, hey, maybe they're afraid because they can't tell what they're about to step into. Um, and, and then being able to create those supports using behavioral strategies also to help them, you know, follow through, reinforce, great job. I love the way you went on that one step. Let's try again, right? We're, that's a simple, everybody's going to praise a child when they're having a hard time and they actually do it or even with support. Right. And that's technically a behavioral strategy is, or, or, or principle is providing reinforcement and we're getting the PT done. So everybody, there's so much that, that overlaps in almost every moment. Right. And there's so much that can be done when you work as a team and you are willing and able to see things from, or ask for other people to see things from their lens. So that, you know, it's all about helping this one kid, right? It's not about me as an OT. Sometimes what I provide doesn't work. Maybe it's not visual perception. Maybe that kid just doesn't want to do it. And I think that it's fair and it's important to acknowledge the fact that I don't have all the answers. My suggestions are based on my clinical judgment based on my knowledge of the child, based on whatever research that I have, you know, at my disposal on this particular topic or, or what we're doing, but it's not always correct. It's not always what's applicable. So, so being able to be a fluid team is huge. And what a wonderful way to, to truly listen to the child, because that child, maybe just because they're young, they, they're not able to truly communicate their reasoning for not wanting to do something or, or why they're having difficulty. And it's wonderful when you see a group get together and, and then listen to those cues, many times nonverbal cues to learn, how do we do this? And I think as parents too, sometimes we do get caught on that. Uh, this is, this is what we need to do. We need to be able to hold the pencil to write down the words. And we get so stuck on what we're trying to achieve. We lose fact of that. It is, you know, the, the human that's trying to learn this activity is on their own journey and they have all their emotions. And, you know, I mean, we have a 13 year old daughter that sometimes feels things and you ask her why she feels something. And she's like, I don't know. I just feel this. Why are you crying? I don't know. I'm just crying. And it's, and it's a lot of communication to get to the, the core of it. Whereas if you have a child who, you know, abstract is hard to uh, pinpoint uh, communication. It might not be the strongest suit. They might not even have the words. I know sometimes with Liam, he wouldn't have the word. Like, how can you say that this is what I feel if you don't have that word, right? Like, I don't know that word yet. I haven't gotten to that word. And that's a typical development. That's not, you know, because of a diagnosis. That is, we learn on a certain uh, we, we learn in a certain way. We, we learn, like I, I was learning sign language to support Liam with speech. And I learned 
different words. I didn't get them all at once. I learned them as I saw I couldn't communicate. And then I'd say, what is he trying to say? And then I'd have to figure out that word and then go find that word. Well, that's what they're doing. That's yeah. exactly what they're doing. You could they're, have an umbrella word of bad, but that bad could be that, that could be you, sour. That could be painful. That yeah. could be so many different things. I don't want things. to do it. I don't like that. Yeah, D- uh, uh, discomfort. That could be so many things. Mm-hmm. And I think that to take that pressure off of having to do it and make it more into being present and this journey of what is that moment? Because that's that's what we're given is the it's, moment. It's easy though. I've, I was just stopping myself the other day when we were supposed to make some kind of craft and. I realized the idea idea wasn't to finish this candy cane. Let's put this tape on here and make stripes. The idea (laughs) is that Liam's pulling the masking tape off of the roll and and holding the loop and cutting it with with his other hand with the scissors. And (laughs) just for a second there, I was going, we got five more minutes. Let's get realized it's not about the candy cane. He was a little upset that he had to wait till the next session. Oh, yeah, we ended up doing it in in another session. Liam was fine, but Stephen was a little upset that he had to wait. I wanted to hang the candy cane. It was really He wanted to finish the green candy cane. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I think that's a really good, that's a very important thing for parents because, again, I'm going to go back to self care. I'm going to go back to just being present and taking care of ourselves because the, not parents, I'm sorry, the caregivers, Caregivers. because we're having to provide care. And if, and if the pressure is the activity, then we're, we're missing whatever that moment is in our lives, because that's the moment at hand. And that's, we're not going to get that moment back. You know, we're not, we're not going to get whatever that, whatever is right there. And, you know, I am in, in this team, I am more of the one that's like, just, we're just going to put the tape down. And if the candy cane doesn't get made, it doesn't get made. The thing is, what are we going to share? What other things are we going to bring out of this moment? Are, are we going to teach him a new word? Are we going to demonstrate how to deal with stress? Are we going to connect? You know, I, I, it, honestly, it's this year, this year, I looked at Liam not long ago, just a couple months ago. And I realized I hadn't connected with him. I hadn't seen him. I'd seen him every day, but I I had stopped seeing him because there's all these lists of therapies. There's all these things that had to be done. There's all this distance learning. There's the pandemic. There's I, he has to have 20 minutes of exercise every day. He needs to make sure what is he eating? Where is he? How is he holding his for? There was all of these things. And he came up to me one day and he just put his hand on my face and he said something and it was in the middle of an activity. And I was like, I saw him. And I realized that I was this like moving force, moving him through whatever journey, which as, as a parent, that that is what you were doing. But for me, it was acknowledging that I needed to find the balance of giving him support and breaking down these stereotypes and pushing him to his potential that not everybody sees, but then also seeing him and being there with my son when he's nine and a half years old and experiencing what that is. You know, so I think that when we're talking about all of the support and and stopping a behavior, that's, again, the gift. The gift that we can find is to just be present and uh, take those moments because that's what everyone says about their typical kids. Even I mean, man, it flew by. She's in college already, you know, and. It just went by. It's going to be the same with Liam. He's going to be in college already. Yeah, but we need to take those moments with him to, you know, make sure. And he can teach us that. We have plans for him to go to Harvard. Did you know he has a Harvard shirt? And that I I listened to that episode. I listened and I caught that. I was like, all right. 
When we went to Boston and we got, I was like, get him a Harvard shirt. <laughs> First day of school in that, that year after the summer vacation. And, and uh, he proudly walked in with his Harvard shirt. And I was like, yeah. Way to go. But and I and I like what you're saying about, um, you know, as everybody is working together as a team and really just being able to find what that moment is and what the need is and then to to go for it. And I love that. What a what a gift that you're an OT and a behavioralist, because, you know, that that, that, that insight that it does, it all it all works together. Just to clear background, I'm not a certified behavior analyst by any means. And it's been a long time since I've formally like practiced, but it's, it's, you know, especially with Nikki McRory being a BCBA as long, you know, as well as an SLP, um, there is definitely, and we have a, you know, number of behaviorists, um, out in the field and in, you know, in school with our kids and working on the teams with our kids. So there's definitely an influence and, and, uh, there are resources for us when we do come across behaviors that we're really not sure how to address. It is nice to have that, um, that resource, uh, in house. Yeah. We really enjoyed our conversation with Kyle Davis about behavior. And for any of our listeners who have not had a chance to listen to that episode, uh, check it out. It's episode 41. And we dive into about every aspect of behavior we could think of, but I, I want to thank you for being here today, Aaron. And we really look forward to continuing this conversation next week. I am honored to be here. And I just hope that your listeners can take a little bit of what I'm trying to put out there and help you guys spread. And I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.